you'll have heard your fill of American voices by the end of today. <laughs> I'd just like to start out by pointing out that you don't actually have to be from America in order to get involved with Safe Families for Children. Um, it's just a coincidence. So Safe Families for Children started with one man who recognized that family, both our immediate family and as a wider church, is a blessing given to us by God so that we can in turn bless our city. It started with this one guy welcoming children into his home and then asking friends and family to do the same, which is kind of what I'm doing today. For those of you who don't know me, Dan introduced me, I'm Jen. I've been a member here at King's for about three years or so, and I also work for Safe Families for Children. I receive referrals of families who need support. But I'm not really speaking to you today as an employee of Safe Families. Strangely enough, I'm not even speaking to you today as a parent because I don't have children yet, although one day I hope to. I'm speaking to you today as part of your family in Christ and as an adopted daughter of God. I've really wanted to try and convey my heart for the broken and the vulnerable, but I've struggled to find a way to communicate that really simply and effectively, partly because God has been working this out in me over a number of years. I haven't always had a heart for those in need, um, especially not before I started following Jesus. And for me, it took going to the poverty-stricken island of Haiti for Jesus' teachings on this to really sink in. But I haven't been the same since. And since then, God's been revealing more and more of his heart for the poor and the orphan and the widow. And of course, we don't need to go to a foreign country to find people who are in desperate need. Living in Edinburgh, the plight of others are often out of sight and out of mind for us, but they're not out of God's mind, and they shouldn't be out of ours either. It was my own adoption by God that more recently gave me a specific compassion for vulnerable children. We talk about being God's children a lot, and that's important. It's something that we should really grapple with and make sure that we know really well and remind ourselves all the time but I think we also run the risk of becoming a little bit too familiar with the concept. It's kind of insane if you think about it. Jesus looked out at a world full of people with a million problems who were going to kill him and said, yes, I want them in my family, whatever it costs. I won't leave you as orphans, he said. So in a roundabout way, this realization of God's love for the broken is what led me to Save Families for Children and is why I'm speaking to you today. So for just a moment, I'd like for you to imagine that you are someone else. You can close your eyes if you want to as I describe the situation, but you don't have to. I'd like you to imagine that you are a single mom who is struggling with depression. You have a rambunctious four-year-old son who keeps you on the go from sunup to sundown. You are exhausted, emotionally, mentally, physically. You know that he needs to get outside and use up some of that energy, but even getting out of bed in the morning is a real struggle for you. If you were in that situation, what would you do? Who would you go to for help? My answers are probably similar to yours. I might ask family, might reach out to friends who I trust, or a neighbor. For those of us who regularly attend church here at King's, we know that we have an auditorium full of people that we could potentially reach out to. But what if none of those options were available to you? What if you had no one 
that you could reach out to for help. This is hard for us to imagine, but thousands of families across Scotland are facing this every day. And for families who are this isolated, a momentary crisis can quickly escalate into a catastrophe. A mum like the one I described before, who's struggling with depression and trying to parent her son, will quickly become overwhelmed and tired. She might start making bad decisions. She'll get frustrated and angry really easily. The pressure can build and build until she does something that she regrets. With a little help, we can prevent situations like this from reaching a breaking point that often forces children into care. Isolation is breaking apart families in our communities. But it shouldn't really surprise us that isolation and loneliness can have devastating consequences. After all, relationship is at the very heart of who God is and who he's created us to be. Our God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and these three have loved one another in a perfect, harmonious partnership for eternity. And since the very beginning, God has known our need for relationship too. God's first assessment he makes of mankind in Genesis 2.18 is that it's not good for him to be alone. And the more I see what families are facing in our city, the more I know that that's true. Even when relationships are broken, our Heavenly Father restores them. He reconciles us to one another by showing us how to forgive and to himself. Our small group volunteered at the Bethany Care Shelter that Rosalie mentioned earlier um, this week. And um, everyone that my husband and I spoke to who was a guest at the shelter, we were just amazed to find out that the reason they were there was because of family breakdown and relationship breakdown. If a family in church is going through a hard time, we try to rally around them. We might offer to babysit, might offer to cook some meals or to clean their house or do some home maintenance that needs doing. Safe Families for Children will help us welcome others into what we already do as a church. We demonstrate Jesus' love, kindness, generosity, and hospitality to one another. Right, so to get down to it, there are three basic volunteer roles. The first, host families. Yeah. <laughs> host families welcome children into their home to give overwhelmed parents a short break. I'd like to be clear on this, it's not foster care, this is friendship. Parents have to give their consent for a volunteer to take their child for the day or overnight, and when the parents want their children back, they get their children back. The length of time that a child might stay with a volunteer will depend on the volunteer's availability and also on what the family needs. So that might be one night per month, every other weekend, or only a couple of weekends in a year. Just as an example, one Friday afternoon, we received a call for an urgent hosting that a family needed. And thankfully, one of our host families was available. So they took this little five-year-old boy out for the day on Saturday to the beach. The family had, the volunteers had already planned to go to the beach with their children. So they just invited this five-year-old little boy to come along with them. Five years old, living in Edinburgh, and this was that little boy's first trip to the beach. The host family only had him for that one day, but God can use one day or one weekend to show him what family life can be like. A chaotic home was the only family that that child knew, 
And how can we expect him to grow up to build a better family in the future if we don't show him how? One weekend can give a child hope. So that's the first volunteer role, host families. Second, family friends offer emotional support. They might meet up to chat, help mom run some errands, or encourage her to take her child to King's Tots, our toddler group. One of our family friends did just that. She met up with a mum every week and took her along to a local toddler group that she was going to. You can befriend parents or you can befriend children. Another family friend, who we'll call Matthew for our purposes today, drove a 10-year-old boy to and from his weekly bereavement counselling sessions. His mum had just passed away and his gran had been caring for him and his four other siblings, with gran taking care of five of her grandchildren um, she was struggling to cope and wouldn't have been able to get him to and from those weekly appointments. And now, in Matthew, the boy has a male role model, which are in short supply. Thirdly, resource friends provide practical skills or resources. They might do maintenance around the house, lay carpet, clean a child's bedroom, build some flat-packed furniture, or even cook a few meals. And we'll hear, hear a little more about that in a minute. As you can hopefully tell, these three roles, the host families, family friends, and resource friends, which you can also find on the flyers that were on your chairs. Um, you can look at them if you want. That's fine. <laughs> these three roles are flexible depending on the family's needs and on what volunteers are able to offer. Instead of wondering if you fit the mold of one of these three roles, I'd like you to ask or think about the skills and experiences that God has already given you and then maybe ask how you can use those to help someone else. We already have two Safe Families volunteers here at King's, and I'd like to invite them up now <laughs> to tell us a little bit about the application process and also some of their reasons for getting involved. We should probably get a mic for them. <laughs> this is Gordon, who you've already met, and, <laughs> and his lovely wife, Jill. Um, could you tell us why you decided to sign up to be a volunteer? Sure. So my day job is um, looking after volunteers who befriend children who are affected by parental drug and alcohol use. And I've been doing that on and off for the last two years. Um, and I've seen firsthand the difference that a volunteer who can give regular weekly commitment can make. Um, the little boy who I met this week, and he's about eight or nine, um, and every week without fail, about 15 minutes before his befriender comes, he will stand at the window and he will peer out waiting for her to come. He'll have his coat on. And at about, if she's late, like I'm talking 30 seconds late, he's kind of, mummy, mummy, is she coming? Is she coming? She's not here. Mummy, mummy, is she coming? Um, and he is so desperate for this befriender. And she doesn't do anything wildly kind of amazing. She bakes with him. They've gone out for dinner. They've gone to the beach. Um, but it's just that regular commitment to him to have one-to-one -one attention and to do the fun stuff. So I've been saying this on and off for the last two years. And I thought, actually, this is what volunteers can do. Gordon and I can do something similar. So that's why I decided to volunteer. Uh, and for me, I think it was that we were really grateful that God had provided us a place to rent down the road from church. And we went to an information evening and just thought, this is great. Let's use this as an act of gratitude. And then when we ended up 
through, I think, God's provision, moving into a bigger flat. We then thought we definitely need to do this as an act of gratitude. We've got, we've got a spare room. Let's use it to bless someone in our city. That's great. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about the application process? I know it, it can be tricky. You're taking other people's kids, and they're staying with you, and you're being trusted with them. So what was the application process like? Yeah, um, we went to an info evening where we, Dave just convinced us that this was a good thing to do, and we're happy he's to a see him in person. Guy. He is because he? he's American. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, then we filled out a form. We I can't remember. We did an application, like quite a detailed application process, because you're being you're going to be given someone else's kids to look after, as you say. Um, you do your PVG, um, and you you then get a kind of I mean, they told us to prepare for three hours. We were pretty terrified about this, where someone comes, checks out your house, and sees, like, basically the practical stuff. Does it work? And asks you your life stories, basically, to see how are you going to be with other people's kids. And you know what? That was probably the most challenging thing of, of um, giving in this way. So far, we haven't had a kid yet, but um, we, you know, it will be totally worth it. So um, then, is there anything I've missed out? Oh, yeah, our stuff, we're not, we don't go, but all your information goes before a group of professionals from the, across the city who meet to kind of look over prospective volunteers' information and say, is, is this going to be good for these kids that we're receiving referrals for, these families we're receiving referrals for? That is a really encouraging thing because what it says is you've got you know, a health worker and a social worker, you've got staff from safe families there looking, saying, is, is this, do we think this will work? And I'm really encouraged by that. We, didn't, we, we don't have to go anything, but it's just a really good thing to know that there's that framework in place. Yeah, great. Um, so there was also, well, I don't know if you mentioned a training day or not, no. but there was a training <laughs> day that they went to. And we actually have training days coming up on the 30th of April, the 28th of May, and the 11th of June. Could you tell us a little bit about the one that you went to? How did you find sure. it? Um, so the training days, the training day that we went on was a Saturday from like half ten until four or something like that. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it so the, on our training course, we had people who wanted to be resource friends. Um, we had people who were going to be family friends, and we had people who were going to be host families. So our whole spectrum. Um, you had individuals who wanted to play their part. You had retired couples um, who wanted to do something, but just weren't quite sure what they would be able to offer. Um, and everybody in the middle. Um, and I thought it was a really good training day because it catered for all those needs. Um, and the message that we came away with was. It's okay to volunteer with whatever availability you have. Um, it's okay to say that you're available for three weekends and then later on realize actually you're not. Um, See, so families seem to just be grateful for whatever you could offer and whatever you could volunteer. The other thing that I don't know if happens at all training, but certainly at ours, was we had a senior member um, of the social work team. He's the head of children and families in the west of the city. And he very honestly <coughs> said that he wasn't a Christian. Um, but he came and he was able to show the difference that Safe Families for Children was making in the west of the city in the last six months in terms of the number of children um, Kind of, and the kind of child, child protection incidents and all that sort of thing. And he said he couldn't quite make the connection between safe families being involved and the numbers kind of reducing, but he definitely felt there was a correlation. Um, and that's pretty cool if you have the senior social work guy <laughs> kind of saying that actually he thought there was a difference happening. So yeah, we really enjoyed it. Great. Um, no, one more question. Um, 
just a little bit more about the training days. So it's a chance for you to come and you can ask lots of questions. You don't have to be 100% committed to volunteering yet, but you can come with all of your doubts and your concerns. And um, also on the 11th of June, to make it easier for you, that training day will be held here at King's in the side hall. And it would be great to see a lot of you there. So they haven't had any hostings yet, but Gordon and I had a really fun experience this week where he stepped in as a resource friend. Gordon, could you say a little bit about that? Yeah, so I got a random text via Chris in the office saying, do I need some help? I was thinking, what? Um, to, uh, I've got a, a family who live just down the road, so I'm not going to tell you all the detail, but uh, who, like five minutes down the road, mum and this really lovely mum and son who've just moved into this part of the city and who just didn't know what to do with all the stuff that needs to happen when you arrive in a new place. And I think they're just really afraid, to be honest, of all the change and all the stuff going on. And their internet wasn't working, and their boiler wasn't really working. And to be honest, I mean, the good bit is it was great to meet them, great to go, and for us to be a part of their lives for those, for that, I don't know, 45 minutes hour. The really funny thing was, I couldn't fix any of it. So, <laughs> so, so. So yeah, looked at the internet, no, there is no connection coming into your building. Uh, I looked at the boiler, no idea, complete mystery, not working. <laughs> Do you know, the really funny thing at the end of it was this mum saying, it is so good that you guys have come to visit us. It is so good. I feel so much better that you've been here. I'm thinking, man, wow, okay. <laughs> you know, um, but just amazing to get to be a blessing for that, that hour with, with this family in the city who, without all the connections you spoke about earlier, I suspect, I don't know, but, but these guys are saying, who, who will be there? And we're saying the local church will be there. And I think that's great. That's great. Thank you, guys. So the scenario that I described earlier about the single mum who's depressed is actually based on a real family that Safe Families for, Ch for Children volunteers helped. It's a bit of a tongue twister. Um, so Jennifer, when she was, this is Jennifer, you can see on the screen, with her lovely son Xander. And when she was introduced to us, uh, she was struggling with depression, trying to parent her really rambunctious son. And um, she was at the time, phoning her social worker every few days in tears, saying how she couldn't cope and pleading with her to take her son away from her. Um, <clears throat> you have to understand, Jennifer loves her son, but she was mentally in a really dark place and she was struggling to cope and she just didn't really know what to do. So we paired Jennifer with a host family who took Xander for, on Friday nights every couple of weeks and we also paired her with a family friend uh, so that Jennifer could vent some of that uh, the, some of her emotions and receive encouragement in return. And within a few weeks, the frantic phone calls to the social worker stopped, which was great. Could you be a friend to someone like Jennifer? Or could your small group maybe sign up and offer to clean a family's flat once every couple of months? Could you invite a child into your home this year? Psalm 68.6 says, God sets the lonely in families. Personally, I think King's Church is one of the best families in Edinburgh that someone could be welcomed into. Perhaps Bill Hybel says it best. There is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need 
and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. To close, I'd just like to show you another short video. Safe Families for Children began working in Scotland about a year and a half ago in partnership with Bethany Christian Trust, who I'm sure you're familiar with. If not, after today you will be. In the video, the chief executive of Bethany describes why um, a charity that's dedicated to preventing homelessness decided to partner with a charity that supports families. You'll also see Sean Bell, who Gillian mentioned, the social worker from the southwest of Edinburgh, who is now actually service manager for the children and families practice teams all across the city. And you'll also get to see Jennifer, whose story I've just told you. And hopefully you'll see the tremendous impact that a couple of volunteers had in her life in just a few months. I'll be available after the service. If you want to come and chat to me, I would love to speak to you about getting involved. We'll have a sign-up sheet if you want to give me your email address so I can send you some more information. And you can ask me about how to get signed up for one of the training and information days. I would love to speak to you, so please come and find me afterwards. Well, doesn't that look good? Yes. What an amazing opportunity for us. Thanks, Jen, for explaining that so well. Um, I'm just going to take these last few minutes, really. Uh, as Matthew said, I'm not going to preach a long message, so miracles do happen at King's Church, <laughs> um, just in these last sort of 10, 10 minutes or so. Um, just pull together some, some thoughts, really, uh, scripturally on, on this whole thing, to, to already add to what Jen has already done to us. I think one of the amazing things about being a Christian is that we're people who are led by the Spirit. And the, the very last thing we would ever do to you as a church is to just insist that you must do something as a correct manner of responding. And you've heard from a number of different people today about all sorts of different opportunities. But the truth is this, that, that God the Holy Spirit will lead you in the things that he's calling you to make a difference in. And uh, that will look different for you than the person next to you. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, it says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God or the children of God. One of the hallmarks, one of the greatest hallmarks of you as a Christian is this, that you respond to the Holy Spirit out of a place of being God's child. And... Guilt doesn't come into it. If you look at the person of Jesus, when Jesus walked the face of the earth, he was aged 30 before he began his public ministry, approximately. And on that day when he was baptized, the Spirit of God came down on him in bodily form, and God announced in audible voice to the world, he said, here is my son whom I love, with him I'm really pleased. Here's the question. Was God's pleasure in what Jesus did or in his sonship. It was in his sonship. It was in his relationship. I want to suggest that God's pleasure in you is not in what you do, but his delight is in the fact that in Christ you're his child. Yet what we see with Jesus is that out of a place of secure sonship, he did incredible feats. He healed the sick. He would stay up all night sometimes. He would preach till he was tired. He did incredible things. 
And there was one occasion in John chapter 4 where the, the disciples who were tired and hungry, they'd sneaked off into town to get food. And Jesus found himself talking to the woman at the well, a famous story, the Samaritan woman, who'd had a tragic life of lots of broken relationships. And Jesus brings healing to her. He, he speaks to her. He says, he says, I'm the Messiah. And she runs off to tell her whole town. She says, I've met the saviour of the world. I've met the Messiah. Come and meet him. Her life was transformed in a moment. When the disciples get back to Jesus with their food, and they say, hey, Jesus, we've got some food. Do you want some food? And that's all they ever seem to think about, their own satisfaction. That's the world we live in. We're just constantly thinking about our own stomach and our own needs being met. That can creep into church sometimes as well. That happened in the disciples. But Jesus made this interesting comment. He said, he said guys, I've got food to eat that you know nothing about. And they're confused. They think, well, he had food all along and he didn't tell us. <laughs> And he says, no, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was saying in that statement, he says, better than the last 10 meals I've eaten was this conversation with this lady. He said it was worth sacrificing food for just so I could have that thrill and that high of bringing somebody back to the Father. And that's a thrill that God wants to invite you into. And the grace of God makes us his children. And we can enjoy that, the fact that we don't have to do anything to earn God's pleasure and his favor. But if you want to grow as a Christian, here's my my comment from Jesus' comment there, which is this, feed yourself on doing God's will and there is nothing like it. For some of you here today, you're young Christians and you just fill your life with every kind of opportunity to serve Christ. Here's my caution to you. Make sure you're led by the Spirit and you don't end up just doing everything and burning out. Some of you have been a Christian for, for a longer time. Perhaps have lost some of that initial enthusiasm. You think, why is it all a bit flat? I know I'm a Christian. I know God loves me and all of that. Here's something that's incredibly energizing for you and food for your soul. It's when you step out in areas of discomfort and you say, God, would you help me? And you, you take a hit, but you choose to serve him and to serve other people to do the will of him who sent you. In the book of James, there's a couple of verses which I'm just going to read briefly. The book of James lends itself well to just reading the odd verse. He he kind of changes subject every other line. (laughs) He'd he'd be a terrible dinner party guest, that's what I think. (laughs) Every time he starts talking about something interesting, you think, hey, let's talk about it. He's moved, he's gone on to the next thing. Anyway, he says in James chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. In verse 27, he says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If you're my kind of age, you'll remember... Uh, back in the 90s, singing REM songs, losing my religion, sitting in the corner, that whole thing. Clearly, I'm older than some of you, right? (laughs) And there's a religion that God wants us to lose, and there's a religion that God wants us to gain. The religion that God wants us to lose is self-righteous, self-exalting religion, where we think we're better than other people. It's hypocritical religion. And funnily enough, you don't have to 
be a religious person for that to be true of you. That's true of many, many human beings. But there's a religion that James is saying he, he wants us to aspire to. And he says, it's a pure and faultless thing to look after orphans and widows in their distress. It's a kind of religion that God says is valuable. It affects how we speak and how we act and how we think. And it comes out of relationship with God. That food that Jesus talked about, it comes out of relationship with the Father. And James says he's the father of the heavenly lights. Here's the first bit of food that we need to eat. It's this, that God made the whole world. And he made it not as a science experiment, as a, as a mad professor kind of adding a bit of this to this. It says that he is the father of the heavenly lights. That is this, when God made everything, he did it with the love of a father. He did it because he took such great delight in everything. And God wants us to understand the world, our worldview is to be a worldview that understands that God loves all that he has made. His fatherly love is at the heart of every family unit that we see and everything we come across. In Ephesians 3, Paul said, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. He's saying, anytime you see a family, whether it's messed up or broken or, or good or functional or not, he says, there, in pale reflection, is an emblem of what the Father has created. And when... The Bible talks about God as Father. We understand every good attribute of fatherhood and motherhood to be included within him. Human beings, we have that separated out as fatherhood and motherhood. God is the ultimate parent. He's the Father. And the devil hates family. If you're trying to start a family or raise a family or cope with teenagers or your marriage is hitting the buffers, then you're to know that there's an enemy that would love to see you fail. If you're struggling to feel a part of this church family, you're to know there's a battle involved, that we're to persevere, and there's a blessing for those who persevere. And we live in a world where death and disease and sin result in damage to family. The orphans and widows that James talked about were survivors of family trauma, left shortchanged and unable to provide and survive by themselves. And that food for us is to experience relationship with God to help others. The Bible says that as Christians, we get to call God Abba. We get to call him Dad. And that shapes the very essence of who we are. And it's no great surprise that worshippers and followers of this father begin to take on his family likeness, his characteristics. They begin to display parental love to a world gone wrong. And they do that in the narrower sense of a church family where we care, we're brothers and sisters God is our father. Jesus is our big brother. But as has been talked about today, we do it in the broadest sense, to display God's love of family to anyone we come across. There's different ways in which we can practically show the God of love to a world that's hurting. You could take one of these opportunities given to you today, you can take that journey of adopting children. Maybe that's something that God's going to speak to some of us here about. You can show hospitality in your home or out of your home. The story of the Good Samaritan was a story of somebody showing hospitality 
just because he came across somebody in need and he just went and paid for them in a hotel until they were better. It could be through simple acts of kindness and patience. It can be using one of the many variety of spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament. And a band, if you could come and join us. We're going to sing a, a final song in just a moment to finish. But I just want to close with this, this thought. That often what we regard as the most important, prominent gifts that we could exercise in this life, in eternity they will fade away. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, where, where there's tongues, they'll cease. Where there's prophecies, They'll, they'll be stilled. But there'll be some things that last on into eternity. And I don't have time to do a full teaching on this parable. It's, a, it's an amazing parable. Jesus taught, told the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. You'll start playing if you like. Um, and uh, in that parable, the amazing thing is this, that the people that the Father commends on that day when he says, blessed are you of my Father, come and enter into your rest. And, and they, they, they say, what's going on? He says, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. And their response is fascinating. They say, when did that happen? When did it happen, Lord? And he says, well, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. And here's the amazing thing about simple acts of kindness, hospitality, love. You just don't know who you're entertaining. And we will never know until that final day, until Jesus commends us. And it all seems so ordinary. Every act of love we do in this life will seem so ordinary to us in this life, but one day it will be seen for what it is. God wants us to grow in the grace of showing his love to a world in need. Safe families is a great thing. We wanted to share it with you. It could be this, you're not in a season of life where you can do anything with this right now. That's totally fine. We wanted you to hear about it now, so perhaps in the future you could do something with it if, if it's not possible for you now. It's amazing what God can do through us when we just give him opportunity. It may not always feel significant. Mother Teresa, who cared for vast numbers of people in her lifetime in the slums of Calcutta, people would often say to her, well, how do you cope with all the needs that you see around you? And she said, never worry about the numbers. Helping one person at a time is what's needed. And always start with the person nearest to you.